And I'm Bruce McGregor. This is Spirit Mornings here on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. And are you ready for Scripture? And we are ready to continue to propel you through the Gospel of John. And uh, joining us this morning, Sharon Doran, uh, Teaching Director of Seeking Truth, a Catholic Bible study in the Archdiocese of Omaha. Good morning, Sharon. Good and morning. Good morning, Bruce. All right. Well, Sharon, as you know, if you've been with us here week in and week out, has a passion for Scripture, scripture that is, and it's going to motivate us and challenge us uh, through uh, this uh, wonderful study of John that we're doing right now. Hey, to... I'm just happy it's not a snow day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are going back to school. Bye, kids. Have right. a great day. <laughs> and uh, to all of you out there, yep, have a wonderful day. Yeah. Well, shall we? Uh... Yeah, let's. We were we had left off with Nicodemus last time, and that's in John three. And there's just a little um, bit at the end I want to point out with this bridegroom imagery, Bruce, and then we'll hit it with um, the Samaritan woman at the well, which is one of my all-time that favorites. Is a favorite. Will you start reading there at John three verse twenty-two through 20, uh, thirty, maybe? How about? Sure, let's do that. Um, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Oh, this is this is great. John really knows his calling. He knows who he is in Christ and in God's plan. He is the uh, n- he's not the bridegroom. He's the best man. Uh, a couple things I want to point out about that verse. It uh, before the 1500s there weren't these chapter and verse divisions, and so that very first verse you read said Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean where he baptized. Um, he spent some time with them and baptized. So that says Jesus baptized. Mm -hmm. Very first verse of John 4 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Mm -hmm. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now that kind of seems like a contradiction, just a few verses apart. Jesus and his disciples went out to baptize, and then it says Jesus was not baptizing, the disciples were. So there was some discussion about that in the early church, and the Donatists in uh, North Africa started challenging uh, because of these verses. Augustine used these verses to show uh, what the Donatists were arguing about. They said that um, how could a priest... um, 
that was maybe not in um, the right state morally, how could, would his uh, sacraments that he administered be valid? Mm -hmm. And what Augustine used those two verses were, was to show that the power comes through Jesus Christ. They're baptizing in the name of Jesus, whether Jesus is doing it or a disciple is doing it, the baptism is valid because the power comes through Jesus Christ himself. And so I just think that's just an interesting little controversy there between those two closed verses I wanted to point out. Um, And we know we know that uh, the priesthood is an office, and we had some great discussion about that last time we tied that into Hebrews, the readings of the week. Um, but the priesthood is an office, and when Judas died, went out and hung himself, in Acts 1, one of the first things the apostles have to do is replace that office, because it is an office. For Peter said in, in Acts 1, verse 20, Peter said, is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Another translation has that, calls that an office of leadership. Mm-hmm. So that is an apostolic office, the priesthood, and the power comes through Jesus. Jesus Christ himself. And uh, so um, that's just interesting. And then that bridegroom language that you read, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I want to talk a little bit about that because in a uh, Jewish wedding in the days of antiquity, the role of the bridegroom and the role of the best man were very specific. The best man uh, was called the Shashbin. And uh, For John the Baptist, the coming of the Lord Jesus is the consummation of his ministry. John's to prepare the way. John is to prepare the way. This kind of gets set up as a competition when the uh, disciples come, hey, he's getting more guys than us. He's baptizing more. It's like the competition in their ministry or something. And uh, John says, no, no, no. John's the one who pointed him out. John's the one who said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is not in competition with Jesus Christ. He is preparing the way. He knows his place. He is the best man. Man, and he's preparing the way for the bridegroom. And those weddings were seven-day affairs. And so that best man had a lot of arranging to do. Because in the meantime, the groom is building his house. He's building a room onto his father's house to bring the bride back to dwell. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, the best man, the shashbin, is preparing everything, inviting the guests, arranging the dinner plans, getting everything ready for this feast. And the other big job he has is, is uh, after the vows have been exchanged and the bride and bridegroom are together in the bridal chamber, that is where the consummation of God's covenant will take place. It is the most important job of the bride, uh, the best man, mm-hmm. to guard that bridal chamber so that that covenant uh, can can be consummated. And so he's he's shamaring, he's guarding that sacred uh, that sacred place so that time between God, man, and woman can that tr- trinitarian love for the first time can be um, experienced and the covenant can be sealed by God between the really the three the trinitarian model there. And so that best man has a job to do. And John has done that job. Now the bridegroom is here. Now the covenant is underway in this new way. And uh, it just ties in beautifully with the wedding feast at Cana, Mm -hmm. because we saw that was a wedding feast was going on. And John is just so great. John the evangelist is so great about uh, none of these details. Uh, They're just all woven in so deeply. The Messiah has come. The wine is flowing. The water has turned to wine. Water uh, has turned to wine. Wine is flowing down the hills. Amos told us when Messiah comes, wine will drip from the the mountains. And all that wine has come. They're in a wedding feast. 
And so we just, uh, he knows, he says, let me be less, let him be more. It is not a competition. He knows his place. He's prepared the way. He wants to fade out and let Jesus take center stage, the bridegroom. He, he might increase and I might, you know, I might decrease. John has it right. And Jesus will remind us in Matthew 11 that never has a more humble servant. Has there never been uh, one more humble than John? He says, uh, this is why Jesus would say of him, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John is a model of humility and servant status. He knows. He knows his place. He knows his calling is to prepare the way. So that's just... uh, something I wanted to point out at the end of chapter 3. And we still have this bridegroom imagery going on right into chapter 4. Are we ready to go on chapter 4 here, Sharon? We are. We are. All right. Uh, this one, uh, as we mentioned going into the break, uh, we both love an awful lot. Uh, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I might I might stop you there all right, and, and butt in. I'm sorry. Yep. But, uh, okay, first of all, this is the command that Jesus gives in Acts 1 before he ascends. He says, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And we see John uses this fourfold fold pattern. They're going to go from, Jesus is going to travel from Capernaum to Jerusalem, then Jerusalem to Judea, now Judea to Samaria. And then Samaria off uh, will also meet a royal official from Rome here at the end of the chapter. So Jesus is following his his own pattern here. And it says that um, he had to go through Samaria. Well, no, he didn't. Right. In fact, most Jews avoided Samaria like the plague. You, No one wanted to go through Samaria if you were a Jew. And there was another route that took you clear around Samaria, and that's where most people traveled. And he could have totally done that. But he said he had to pass through Samaria. And I like the King, King James Version there uh, for verse 4, because it says, he must needs go through Samaria. He right. must needs go. Um, and, and that means spiritually. This was a spiritual necessity, not a geographic necessity. He had to go through Samaria because his mission, Christ's mission, is to reunite all of Israel. Right. And that includes Samaria and all people. His house was to be a house for all nations. And so Jesus Christ, this bridegroom, is coming to reunite all Israel. He wants one bride, one church. And so he must needs go through Samaria, even though it's a hostile, hostile place and it's unclean and no no Jew would ever want to go through Samaria. So, so uh, Christ has to do that, and uh, he will do that, and so that's um, interesting. And it says he came to Sychar, and uh, Jacob's well is there. And even today, no scholar disputes that this is where Jacob's well is. Right. It is a well, well documented spot in the Holy Land. No one disagrees that this is the place. And uh, this town is also where Jacob's favorite son is buried. Remember Joseph in mm-hmm. the Technicolor Dreamcoat? That, that one, right. that Joseph, that Joseph. Yeah, he's buried here, and. Um, 
my husband and I were we just went to the Holy Land a year ago, and this was really the only place I kind of felt tense and a little bit scared mm-hmm. because we were trying to find Joseph's grave, and that whole city is Muslim. There's, I think, they told us one Christian family still lives there, and uh, we're trying to find Joseph's grave, and and we're in a, a van, and we, there's uh, we get surrounded by a group of Muslim teenage boys who start picking up stones and sticks. So we didn't, we weren't able to get out uh, of the van. We just got to see it from the car. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just, this is the place where Joseph's bones are buried. It's also the place where Jacob's daughter Dinah was raped by the Shechemites in Genesis 34. Mm-hmm. In Genesis 37, it's the place where Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. And if you look to the west, you'll see these two mountains, Mount Gerizim is on the right and Mount Ebal. And today that's the modern city of Nobulus. But the, the ancient city is situated between these two mountains in the valley below. We know that Abraham camped there at Shechem in Genesis 12. Jacob camped here and bought a parcel of ground there in Genesis 33. And uh, we see that Mount Gerizim was the Mount of Blessing and Mount Ebal was the Mount of Curses in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. So it's just a really important biblical place. Also, at the time of the divided kingdoms in 1 Kings 16, King Omri of Israel, he bought uh, the hill of Samaria from Shemar for two talents of silver and built a city on it and called it Samaria. And uh, his son, the son of of Omri was Ahab, and he was one of the most evil kings yeah. Israel ever had. And his wife was Jezebel, Queen Jezebel. And uh, people, you know, you still hear her name brought up. But uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 16 that um, um, Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. So this was uh, kind of a place of evil. Mm -hmm. And they built a palace on the hill overlooking Samaria. They killed Naboth to get the land. He had a vineyard there, and Jezebel just had him killed off and gave her husband the land. And and, uh, she practiced a lot of idolatry and witchcraft the scripture tell us. And at the time of the divided kingdom, Hosea, uh, the prophet, says that the people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against God. And by the fall of the sword, their little ones will be dashed to the ground, their pregnant women ripped open. Amos says of Samaria uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husband, bring us some drinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of a, it, you, you can feel the Uh, And the problem is, Bruce, that they were worshiping idols. They had intermarried after the Babylon um, exile. When they came back, they had intermarried, and God had always warned against that. And they intermarried with five different nations. Uh, Jeremiah says, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And so this is where Jacob's well is in John um, 4, verse 6. We know that it's the sixth hour. That would be high noon in the hot Mediterranean sun. Jesus is weary and thirsty. And John's so good about showing us the divinity of Christ. And he shows these seven signs throughout his gospel and opens up Christ's divinity. But he also shows us how human Christ is. Uh, We see here that he's tired and he's weary. Uh, We know in in John chapter 11, he'll be tearful. He weeps. And in John 19, he's thirsty again. Mm -hmm. And so um, Jesus is tired and weary. And in John chapter 4 verse 7, a Samaritan woman comes up to draw water and Jesus says, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now his disciples have gone. They're hungry. They're tired. 
He, they go into town to get something to drink. He stays behind. That's intentional on his part. Maybe he wants to sit. Maybe he wants to pray. Maybe he wants to put himself in the path of someone. And I think that's what he did that day. And uh, he doesn't have a water to draw a bucket to draw water. They would use these leather buckets, and the guys must have taken it with them. He has nothing, and and you cannot drink from a Samaritan's bucket. That would be contaminated. That would not be ritually clean for a Jew. And so this woman comes up, and God of the universe is in need. He's thirsty. He doesn't have a bucket, and the well is deep. How 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 is it that God of the universe comes in need like this? Makes himself vulnerable, makes himself in need for for someone. And a foreign, sinful woman? I mean, you know how we like to be so self-sufficient. We don't need anybody else. Here he comes in need. He doesn't have a bucket. He's thirsty. He puts himself in her path. Uh, That's just a model of true humility. And uh, I think of him also coming as a helpless infant who cannot get God of the universe. This is how he reveals himself to us as a helpless baby who needs to be diapered and fed and burped, the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is how he comes in true humility. So she's, um, she's coming to the well for water. He has put himself in her path. And uh, two significant things there. First of all, she's a Samaritan. And Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, in fact, the Jews have a saying, may I never set eyes on a Samaritan. And Josephus, in his book, Antiquities of the Jews, he characterizes the Samaritans as idolaters and hypocrites. And just for several centuries, these two groups have been at war, the Samaritans and the Jews. And uh, one reason is because the Samaritans had built their own temple on Mount Gerizim to rival the one in Jerusalem. Well, the Jews said there's one temple, and they built their own temple. Here they offered their own sacrifices, according to the Mosaic. Code. They did use the book of the Torah, and they called themselves keepers of the law. Um, around 128 BC, Jewish forces captured um, Shechem and destroyed their temple at Mount Gerizim. That didn't go over real well. I would think not. <laughs> and later, then they come back. Uh, they come back and spread bones all over uh, the temple grounds. Uh, human bones and totally defile the temple right before Passover. So Passover could not be celebrated that year. So these two have been warring with each other uh, for a long, long time. There is a schism. And uh, they say, the Jews say, the one true temple is in Jerusalem. And they destroyed the Samaritan's temple on Mount Gerizim. So they're, they're, this is not a, this is a very hostile relationship. And if you remember in Luke 9, when Jesus comes upon some Samaritans and uh, the sons of thunder, James and John, are ready to just, they say uh, in chapter 9, he sends for messengers who went on into a Samaritan village to get things ready, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Then the disciples, James and John, saw this, and they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus rebukes them. So even then, in Jesus' time, they're going to destroy the Samaritans for Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I want. I came for them too. So we're going to see that here. So also, um, they would say, let no Israelite eat one mouthful of anything that is in a Samaritan's land. So that was, they couldn't eat there. Uh, Therefore, the disciples went to get food somewhere else. And um, they might have been getting food, like um, things that could be peeled, like fruit that could Mm -hmm. be peeled so it wouldn't be touched by a Samaritan, or nuts that could be cracked open and the fruit inside eaten. I don't know. Later in Acts 10, we know that Peter will have a vision that no food is to be unclean and that Gentiles are welcome into God's kingdom. But at this time, when he's meeting this woman, this is just social taboo to meet 
a Samaritan, speak with her, and then the other problem is her gender. She's a woman, Mm -hmm. and Jewish men did not speak to women in public, and certainly not to foreign Samaritan women. And so um, that whole Jewish attitude towards women uh, uh, back in that day, uh, there, there was regard for women, like Proverbs 31 is a beautiful, beautiful proverb about the, the character of a noble wife. But the Hebrews over the years had imbibed some of the attitudes of paganism, and women were uh, treated less than um, maybe they should have been. But Jesus isn't afraid of that. Jesus will talk to this woman. Jesus is her savior, too. Jesus is her bridegroom, too. And uh, oftentimes a Jewish man would even start the day with a prayer to God, expressing thanks that he was neither a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Mm. And so, uh, and, and Hebrew men were not allowed to talk with women in the street unless it was his mother, his sister, his daughter, or his wife. And so um, according to the most liberal view in, in Deuteronomy 24, a husband, a Hebrew husband could divorce his wife even if she was found just talking with a man. Wow. So just for talking with another man, that was reason for divorce. And uh, William Barclay uh, says that uh, there was a segment of Pharisees known as the bleeding and bruised. I think this is funny. Mm-hmm. The bleeding and bruised. Pharisees, when they saw a woman approaching, were supposed to close their eyes. And so, hence, they ran into a lot of things constantly. <laughs> so they were bleeding and bruised, uh, <laughs> having to close your eyes every time you saw a woman. Sure. So, um, so Jesus goes up to her and says, could you give me a drink? I don't have a bucket and the well is deep. So the Son of God in one fell swoop breaks through two major cultural barriers, this racial bigotry against the Samaritans and, and this gender bias against women. And so uh, Jesus knows, Jesus loves women. Jesus knows that God created woman in his image and likeness, and that really she was the climax of all creation. And uh, he will raise her dignity in a, in a beautiful way. So it's high noon, and uh, it's hot, and he's tired, and they are at the well all alone. Now, really, no woman should ever be at the well all alone. Right. That's that's not good. That's kind of a, um, we'll look at that in a minute, but only really a bad woman. And I, I say that in quotes, a bad woman would be so blatant to be alone at high noon at the well. The women always came together to the well, and they came early in the morning and late after the sun went down, later in the afternoon. And uh, that was a time to visit and talk and catch up, and, and then they had work to do when they leave from there. This woman's an outcast. She's coming all alone mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. She either knows that traveling men will be coming through, and she makes a contact with someone, or um, because really she should not be there alone for propriety's sake. And uh, we know that the well's kind of a pickup place. It can be in okay. scripture uh, for couples to meet. Abraham, for instance, finds Rebecca at the well for Isaac through the, his servant Eleazar. And Jacob met Rachel at the well in Genesis 29. And in Exodus 2, Moses meets his wife Zipporah at the well and defends Jethro's daughters and becomes a hero and and uh, takes Zipporah as a wife after that. So it is a place where men and women uh, can meet. But um, this well today... Um, I got to go and drink out of this well, and it was probably the highlight of my whole trip to the Holy Land. Uh, these borders have been closed for over 12 years, and they opened up last May. And uh, Dr. Tim Gray said, "We, I am going to mm-hmm. Jacob's Well. I've never been there. I am going to this place. If you want to stay back in town with my wife and shop, you I, no, 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 I'm going to Jacob's Well, too. And uh, we met this beautiful priest, Father Justinus. He's a Greek Orthodox 
uh, priest, and the priest there before him had been butchered at that well. Oh he had been martyred, uh, and he died in 1979 when they burst into the monastery with a hatchet and and uh, butchered his body and laid it out in the form of a cross. And I, I, I have a very graphic description here. I'm not going to read it, but mm-hmm. this man who guarded Jacob's well was was just hatcheted to death. And he has become a, a saint now, uh, Father Philomunas. And uh, Father Justinus took his place and he guards Jacob's well day and night. He stands over the well. And uh, he took the water, he, he took a stone and dropped it and it seemed like forever. It was very, very, very deep. And uh, he brought a bucket of water up and we all got to drink from the well, this living water. And, and we were just in tears as we read John chapter four. Um, what we saw right before this, Bruce, was Nicodemus. And he, remember, he was the leading teacher of the Pharisees. He was one of the best teachers of the law in all the land. And he comes to Jesus in the dark of night. At min- you know, he's coming at the pitch, pitch, pitch black of night. Mm-hmm. And see the contrast that John does with light and darkness. Because here's this sinful, foreign, Samaritan woman at high noon right. in broad daylight daylight. for all to be exposed. Mm -hmm. And so there's just that contrast between light and darkness here. A a woman coming in the middle of the day, not a typical time when women would come to the well. She doesn't associate with other women because she's an outcast. She's different. She's not chaste. Nick at night, (laughs) woman in broad daylight, (laughs) sinful woman. And and, okay, so um, Jesus is uh, traveling through this foreign man. And he asks her, he wants to be a bridegroom to her. He wants to to have a personal relationship with her. He wants to be the type of spouse she has never known. I want you to pick up the reading there. Tell us what uh, what he asks her. And he's just going to gradually, with questions, reveal himself to her. Will you uh, read the scripture there, Bruce, uh, starting at verse 15? All right, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. Ah, stop right there. Yeah, okay, here's this, five husbands, and the one you're with now, the sixth one, is not your husband. What, 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 what is this? What is, he's calling her out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, at first she doesn't want to reveal, I have no husband. And Jesus says, oh, you're right. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And she says, sir, I can see you are a prophet. How could he know this? How could he possibly know her personal life? Mm-hmm. And so now she's drawn in even more. He's just gradually, and, and he's not letting her off the hook with this five husband thing. Um, he knows the deepest desire in her heart is for love. Here she's had, she's been with five men, now a sixth. Something in her is desiring love. She's probably been objectified. She's probably been used by men. One husband, then the next, then the next, then the next, then the next, and then now one. I mean, he he knows that desire in her heart for love. We all have that desire in our heart, Bruce, yes, to be do. loved unconditionally. And he knows that. He created her in his image and likeness. And so he wants to be this bridegroom for her that she's never had. We just had this bridegroom imagery at the end of chapter three, and this well is, is a pickup point, and Jesus arranges it so he sees her at high noon 
in broad daylight. He's exposing her life gradually. And, and he knows he laid down his, he's going to lay down his life for her too. He wants mm-hmm. to be a bridegroom for her. And uh, the disciples have gone in, into town. This is so unusual. It's, it's you and me are here at the well speaking a private conversation. Very scandalous. Could have been, he, he crosses all those social taboos. And, uh, the problem is bigger than this. Uh, John has another layer here because five husbands. Well, when the Jews came back from from the Babylonian exile in 586 BC, uh, and the time of rebuilding in Ezra and Nehemiah, in that time, uh, um, they had intermarried especially in Samaria. In Samaria, they had intermarried with five other countries. Those are the five husbands. Mm, Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom, has gone outside of God. They have taken other gods, five other gods, and built uh, altars to five other different gods. And I have that that written down here. It's in 2 Kings 17. Um, They have... And so those are those five husbands. Mm-hmm. This is the northern king. He's calling him back. He's saying, I want to be your husband. I'm the one true God. I want to be living water for you. Um, in John verse 410, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This gift, this gift, he calls it a gift of God and it's living water. The offer of salvation to a rebellious world is an absolute expression of God's grace. It's a free gift that cannot be merited or earned. Uh, Paul tells us that in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God not by work so that no one can boast. In Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants to give her that gift, this living water. Jeremiah had had told them earlier, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jesus wants to be that living water for her. He wants to fill every thirst she possibly has. And and she says, do you, oh, do you think you're greater than our forefather, Jacob? Mm-hmm. Our father, Jacob? This is the Samaritan pride coming through because right. they claim Jacob is their father. They have his will. And there's just an irony there that John uses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus is much greater than Jacob. He is the word through which Jacob was created. And Jesus knows that. And, you know, and, and your kind of water, you have to come here every drink. You have to replenish. But if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. And the woman says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. Her heart is changing. She's being drawn in. Her curiosity is piqued. And he's just gradually revealing himself to her. I love that, to that deep thirst, that deep desire to be truly loved by him. And uh, and so I just, he knows her interior life. He is revealing her innermost heart in a truthful way, but very gentle, but truthful. And, and he's he's telling her that, She's in bondage. She's in bondage of sin. She can't get out of this lifestyle. She's trapped in it. But he's saying, yes, you can. I could be this living water for you. For you. I, could, I could give you this gift. It's free. I could give it to you. And, and you could worship in spirit and truth. And, and he's going to tell her that salvation comes from the Jews. He's going to explain that whole thing of salvation history to her. No longer will we, will we have to worship at Jerusalem or at Jerusalem. He knows that temple's passing away in a few years. It's going to be obliterated in 70 AD. Jesus knows that. He 
he's saying, I could be your living water. You could have one on, you could, you could have relationship with me. And uh, so he's just drawing her in. I just think it's just so beautiful. And God wants to do that for us too. For anyone out there, God wants to draw you in. He wants to be the living water. He wants to be the life source for you to drink from. Um, ah, there's so much. <laughs> I, I know, gosh. <laughs> Just uh, go ahead, keep going along. Are, are, are we, how much time do we have, Bruce? Uh, let's take another, we've got to take at least another minute or two here, I think. Okay. Right? Um, oh, okay. So yeah. when, when uh, he says, uh, Mrs. Samaritan, you know, you, you, we worship in spirit and truth. A time is coming and, and, and God is spirit and his worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. He knows that, that they're in false worship of pagan gods and he knows that he has come and that Real worship will be in spirit and truth. I mean, now, Bruce, we don't have to go to the temple. We don't have the temple in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. There is a Catholic mass going on every hour somewhere around the globe, hour after hour after hour. We can go to confession. We can go to Eucharist. We can worship the Father in spirit and truth. He makes that possible through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, through baptism, through confirmation. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit, both individually and collectively as one true bride, the church, and he's the bridegroom. And and Jesus is just critiquing Seeking their false worship, tainted by idolatry, and he's saying true worship is here, true worship in spirit and truth, where the one true God is. And he's inviting her to that. And and she says, oh, I know Messiah will come. And Jesus says, Guess what? I who speak to you am he. I am. And he reveals himself to her as Christ, the first person, I think, in John's gospel that he says, I am who I am to this sinful foreign woman. She's going to leave her jar behind. She's going to run and tell the whole village. She leaves her sinful jar, her sinful life. That's a symbol of her life. She runs to the the, the village of Samaria, tells everyone, I think I found the Messiah. I think I found him. I think I found him. And and he told me everything I ever did. She's not embarrassed of her testimony Mm -hmm. because what did he tell you? No, 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 no. She doesn't care. I found him. I found him and they come back. He stays there for two days. You would never as a Jew stay in Samaria for two days. And they want to abide with him and be with him. Many come to believe. And she goes on and she becomes Saint Fotina uh, in the Greek Orthodox tradition. She's Saint Fotina. She dies a martyr's death. They cut her up and throw her in the bottom of a well. She spends her whole life and her sons spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a changed life. There's a salvation right there. There it is. All right. Sharon, beautiful. It's absolutely awesome. Thanks so much. Mm, you're welcome. All right. Sharon Doran from the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study here as uh, we go through uh, the Gospel of John. John. And uh, once, uh, well, we'll see you in a uh, couple weeks. Couple weeks. Sounds right. good. Okay.